I didn't want to make communion something we tag on at the end of a service today. So starting out the year, it's going to be a little different. It'll be a sermon, it'll be a teaching, but I think it's important to understand because we all take communion at least once a month on a regular basis. I don't think we truly understand what it means. And um, indulge me if you do, but I'm going to try to go through the scriptures and point to a place why communion is so significant for us. Amen? Uh, it's important for us to do that. Um, the scripture we're going to about to read is found in 1 Corinthians. We don't have to stand yet. Just going to give you a backdrop on it. Uh, Corinth was a church that obviously Paul himself was responsible for. Paul didn't establish a church and then move away and then go all over the place and didn't take care of that church. He made sure that he took care of the church. Apparently, through some oral communication or a letter that was written to Paul, there were some things that were going on in the Corinthian church that Paul had to address. Now, leaders are responsible for the spiritual formation of the people that God has entrusted them. The sheep don't belong to us, they belong to God. We are shepherds responsible to God. So ultimately, what Paul had to do was pen this letter back. And the scripture we're about to read, it's his response to the stuff that was going on at the church, specifically around communion and the way people were taking it and acting around it. So if we can all stand, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. I know it says 34. If you have your sermon map, it's with you. But I wanted to truncate it and just go to 27 and kind of dive into what God has to say today. Amen? We could all read together. It's important for us to read. Why do we read? We read because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Amen? So at the count of three, let's all read together as soon as we get the image on the screen. It's coming. Amen. Okay. One, two, three. Following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Amen. It's the reading of God's word. Everybody have a seat, please. I'm going to sit a little bit because I'm getting old and I pulled the calf muscle. And uh, it's easier for me to sit sometimes. But I also want to invite you into this space now so that we can begin to kind of understand what this is talking about. The Corinthians were obviously a church that was mixed. And because of it, what began to happen was some of the celebrations that they had, they started to bring into the church. It's not unusual. It happens a great deal today in evangelism that people, um, you know, have certain ideas and certain gimmicks and certain pomp and circumstance and lighting and all that stuff to kind of create this atmosphere where a euphoric kind of sense of excitement uh, and charismatic, and people get excited, but then they leave the place and don't know what the message was about. They knew the color of the lights, they knew what the person was wearing, but they didn't know what the message was about. I, I think that the Corinthians had this love feast that they always used to throw, and they forgot what communion was about. There were four specific things that the early church committed themselves to, and one of them was the Lord's Supper. The other three, of course, was the teachings of the apostles, prayer, and fellowship. You find that in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 44. You can look at it on your time and make a note on your paper that you have in front of you. But it's important for us to understand that the communion was instituted by Jesus Christ. It's not the Passover. And I think sometimes, because it happens about the same time that we get this huge break in our school year or our work schedule, that April comes around and we have this, you know, uh, Easter, we think that it's a Passover now. The Passover was established by God as a direct result of the oppression that was instituted upon his people. And in Exodus chapter 12, when you see that, that God was about to unleash the destroyer. That's how the scripture brings it up. Not this comic Marvel book kind of guy, but God was about to release the final plague on Pharaoh and Egypt so that he can let his people go. And he specifically told Moses and Aaron, listen, I'm about to turn it up in here. And, 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 and the firstborn of male, of every home, and animal, they're just going to die. But the way that you're going to escape this, the, the way that you're going to be able to get away from this is if you kill a lamb and put its blood over your door and your lentils. That means the door and your post. And when the destroyer comes, if he sees the blood, he will pass over. Tracking with me? Okay. So God makes this provision for his people so that nothing happens to them. But he said this, if I see the blood, I will pass over. So, so the communion is not the Passover because I want to read a scripture in Luke chapter 22 that I want us to follow along with because I want us to see that what we see in the Old Testament is really a foreshadowing of Christ's crucifixion. The story throughout the Bible is about a lamb. 
from the very beginning in Genesis. He had to cover his people after they sinned. Someone had to die. And they were covered, unlike the beautiful pictures with little leaves and stuff like that running around. No, it was blood had to be shed to cover their sin. You see it in Genesis when Abraham was asked to take his son to you know, sacrifice him at this altar that was set up. And God provided then also. We fast forward to Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 23. I'll read it because I want you to see the narrative. Because a lot of times, we spend a great deal of time defending the deity of Jesus and forget that he was a man. That God emptied himself and became man. And that he was hungry, that he felt pain, that he wept, that he had to sleep. Like we think that he was a superhuman person that just floated and walked around with no concerns of his own. And in Luke chapter 22, it says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Why would they be afraid of the people? I think about that. There was something that Jesus was starting to do that, people, that, that the, the powers that be were concerned about. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. What do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Guys, if you don't see this orchestration of God in this. In Exodus chapter 12, the first month of the Jewish calendar is Nisan, which is April. Now they are in this time again, and it's the Passover is upon us, and he begins to make these arrangements. Now let me explain something about the Passover. Because the Passover was supposed to atone for the sins of the people. Every male of their household will get this lamb, one-year-old male, that they took care of, they fed, they loved, they cared for. I'm sure the lamb had no clue what was about to happen to it. And what they did was they carried this lamb to Jerusalem, and they went to the temple, and what they did was they laid this lamb down. And people say it was just putting their hand on it, but historians indicate that what they literally did was they put their weight upon this lamb. They literally leaned into it so that the weight of their sin, the weight of their home, because for every male, he took his household, their sin. Not everybody can go to the court. So what they did was he leaned against it, and the weight of his sin, the weight of the sin of his household, was then transferred. As he's holding on and leaning on to the lamb like that, the high priest would walk by and slit its throat. 
atonement, the sin transferred onto this land. Blood spread all over the place. Now, now according to historians, they recorded over 256,000 lambs being slaughtered. Now, anybody ever been around blood? How it smells? 256,000 lambs. The, the blood just flowed. And, and I think it's the picture of God just telling us this is how our sin is. This is the disgustedness of our sin. This is what our sin looks like. The blood ran into the river and made it red for days. It, it was awful, the stench of it. I thought about one lamb after another was being slaughtered to atone for the sins of the people. This happened every single year for the sins of the people. Jesus shows up on the scene now. And there's something very powerful happens because John, when he sees Jesus coming to him, everybody know John the Baptist? And John sees him, and what he says is, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, you didn't get that. It's not just your sin. It's the sin of your world, of the world. Your sin should be enough, but it wasn't enough. He took on the weight, emptied himself as God, came down as human being, and took on the weight of our sin. From you, from me, he took on the weight of the sin. He took it for you. He took it for me. A lot of us think that we got to get good to get God. God already made it good. God arranged everything. He took everything, every sin that you've ever committed and will commit. And sometimes you get caught up in your stuff still and you're wondering, man, when am I going to get this? When am I going to get this? You get it when you understand the gospel. And the gospel message is that this lamb was slaughtered for you, for me, for all of us. Now, I don't know about you, but, but, but that provokes me to respond to this overwhelming love. Someone loves me that much that they would die for me. Not only die, because leading up to it, as you see, they already were plotting to kill him. His best friend betrays him, right? Like one of his inner circle. And then on top of that, it's not enough just to, you know, eventually get to the cross. You, you get a beat down. You get ridiculed. You get a punch in the face. They tear at your beard. They give you a crown of thorns. Guys, you have to get this picture because I truly believe it's the reason that you still keep doing the nonsense you keep doing. You don't understand the gospel. You see, you fall on one side where it says, oh, God loves me, God loves me, and you go on doing the same thing over and over. God's going to forgive me, so therefore, I don't have to do any work because he did it all. No! He didn't do it all so you can keep doing what you're doing. He did it all so you can change. So you can change. Because how else would the world know that our God is real except through the people that say they are Christians? He goes on to say here, as he's having this conversation, he says, okay, so, so they made preparations, they got it ready, and they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, verse 14, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, 
And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In some places it says fervently. In some places it says desire, desire. He was overwhelmed. What about if today was your last day to live? And you wanted to have dinner. Like, who, who would you invite to that? Right? I wouldn't invite you guys. Just want to let you know. Honestly. I mean, not for any reason except my last dinner, I want to spend it with my family. All right? I want to let them know, hey, this continues. Just because I'm going, just because I'm dying, doesn't mean my faith stops. It got to go on to the next generation, next generation. I would look at my son, I would look at my daughter, I would say, hey, guys, I want my grandkids and my grandkids and my grandkids to know the gospel. I want them to live for Jesus. And his last supper, he was so eager to spend it with them before he suffered. And he goes on to say, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment. Somebody say fulfillment. In the kingdom of God. In other words, what, what, what you're going to realize is that this that we're going to do, this Passover, after this, you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to continue to kill the lamb. Because at the center of Christian worship is communion. At the very center of Christian worship is communion. It's not just that we take this and eat this. No, it is symbolically reminding us that we're doing this in remembrance of what he's done for us. And we await for his return. Amen? He says that, and then he says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new. Somebody say new. New covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Listen, if the Passover was enough, we wouldn't need communion. If the Passover was sufficient to pay for our sin debt, then all of us, every year, will be slain in Adam. We don't have to do that anymore. We have Christ himself, who offered himself up as that lamb so that it no longer has to happen. So when we come to this communion table and he spends time with his people, he says, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. Now, this is crazy, guys. I tell you why it's crazy. And I tell you why we, we, we have to change the way we do communion and the way we sit at the table. Because Judas planned to betray Jesus. Took his money and then snuck in and sat at his table. I want you to get this. There are some of us who are going to sin tomorrow. Not accidentally. In your mind, you're already rattling off that you're going to do this tomorrow. But you want to take communion today. 
I think it's important for us to understand that communion is not for us to do what they were doing. They were celebrating this love feast. They were eating. They were getting drunk. They, they, were, they were mishandling something as sacred as what God had instituted so that we could be reminded of what Christ did. I feel that. I feel that every day. His love compels me to look to the heavens. It compels me to praise him. It, it reminds me that everything that needed to be done is done. Like, he was the one that left heaven. He was the one that came down. He was the one that, you know, this, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to get beaten for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take off. Does everybody remember the words he uttered at the cross? It is finished. It is finished. And here's my concern, right? That, that some of you believe it's not finished. So you got to do more stuff so God can love you more. You got to act in a particular way so God can love you more. God is not going to love you any more, any less than he loves you right now. And it's important for us to understand that because that's the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you so much that he sent his son. And you don't embody that because when he sent his son, he sent his son to do what? Not to live in a palace, to be born in, in, in you know, meager conditions, to, to, to go. No, he didn't have a whip to drive around. He walked everywhere. You know, like, like, like people that just didn't like him. And then he's got to go through this torture. He's got to go through this whole thing to, to, to get to a place where he would take on the sin of the world. And when he said, it is finished, it is finished. So if you're in this room and you think that you have to work so God can love you more, you're in the wrong camp. But if you're in this room and you say, God loves me so therefore I can live however I want, you're in the wrong camp too. God's love for us demands a response. And that response is this whole thing we call sanctification. That because of the gospel, because of this message, because of this great truth, that every single day, as I cry out to God and he empowers me through his word and his spirit, that I would walk with him. That I would be with him. So communion with Christ is union with Christ. It's not a separate thing. Communion with Christ is union with Christ. It's not two separate things. It's not a meal. It blew me away because Judas went and, and did this act, and, and he's, you know, he, he had the money. It was probably in his pocket, and he was like sitting there, and he's eating, and then Jesus just drops it and says at the very end, yo, the one who's going to betray me is right here. I don't know about you. I'm like, not me. Not me. Maybe it's John. Maybe it's Peter. Hey, really? You know, like everybody starts thinking, but listen, it's you. It's me. If we come into the communion and we don't acknowledge the great sacrifice that was made for us, the finished work of the cross, 
how we don't have to kill a lamb anymore because the lamb has already been slain. And by the way, as you read the gospel, you get to Revelation, it is the lamb who opens the scrolls and no one else can open. So I'm saying this because, man, we got to do, you know, I started out early in the new year and I was like, man, you know, this is a new year. Um, it's got it, it, to be a difference. And I'm not saying about resolutions. Forget about that. You're not losing weight. Forget about it. That's it. After 45, you're done. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. But then go, oh, you know, no, listen, go all do an exercise. Let's all pinch right now. It's not going away. Oh, boy, I was rough. <laughs> but, but think about it. It's not about resolutions. It's about acknowledging that it's already been done, that it's finished. And all I got to do is respond to his love every single day, man. If I ask every single person in this room, you would say you love Jesus. But your beliefs transfer into behaviors. And in this new year, it's new, so when I find myself acting old in this new year, I'm asking people around me, hey, pastor, that looks old. I don't want to bring old stuff into the new year. I don't want to bring my old attitude into the new year. And people, if you're in this room, man, and you're still carrying this old stuff, guess what? It's not a new year for you. It's another year. That's all it is for you. It's just another year in which the drudgery of the past is going to come up on you again. You know why? Because you haven't resolved it. That word new means dead. We didn't celebrate, hey, happy another year. No, it's happy new year. So begin to evaluate, assess your reality, look at yourself and says, man, is this old stuff that I'm bringing into this new year? And how is this affecting me? How is it affecting my relationship with the Lord? What, what, the sacrifice that he made, is this what he asked me to do? Is this what he called me to do? Change lives. Born again. Regeneration, a newness of life that comes as a direct result of something that's been done for us that you and I cannot do for ourselves. Jesus came to die. I love the fact that the grave could not hold him. I love the fact that the grave was not a resting place. It was a launching pad. That's what it was. And so much so that even today he intercedes for you and I. The Holy Spirit comes to give us help, but we can't even do it on our own. I don't, listen, I don't know about you, but I can't be good. I can't be good. I don't know if you think you're good. I'm sorry, but I, don't, I, don't, I can't be good. Left to my own devices, I am a horrible individual. You should flash my thoughts on the screen sometimes. They're pretty horrible. But I understand what Jesus did. So I'm reminded of the word to bring those thoughts captive. Think on things that are holy and noble and pleasant and think on the Lord. I don't let those things run too much with me. I'm, I'm looking at, at how and how I contribute to the things around me. The people that I harm, the things that I think, the things I don't do and do. Because I'll witness is how people will come to understand this grace that's been bestowed upon me. Jesus said, you're going to do this from here on in. We ain't killing the lamb no more. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do the communion. And when you sit there and you take of the bread, remember that it's my body. 
my body that was broken for you. And that word broken, of course, if you study the scriptures, there was no bone broken on his body, and people think, oh, well, it says broken. Broken means just tore up. Like, like when you think about the, the, the way he looked on that cross, like, like the images of him being whipped and scarred and it being ripped off of his flesh. Guys, this was just not a slap in the face. This is what he had to do to pay for our sin. So you think that by being good or doing good deeds that you can match that? All you have to do is believe and accept the gospel message. God did it all. From beginning to end, he did it all. I just read, I just read a few scriptures for you from Exodus and from Genesis, from Exodus to Leviticus where the blood has to be shed. He orchestrated this whole thing. He didn't ask you permission. He doesn't need you to say, God, maybe you should move that over there or maybe you should paint this this way. No, he doesn't need your help. What he needs is your obedience to his word. And that when we sit at communion, that we're doing it in remembrance of him until he returns. The fulfillment of it is that he went to the cross. So therefore, it does away with the old and behold the new. There's a new covenant in his blood. And I think starting out the new year, we have to embrace that truth and that reality. Listen, you can never outgive God. You can never outdo good. And it, listen, in comparison to me, you may be good, but in comparison to Jesus Christ, you bad. You very bad. You, you breaking bad. <laughs> Think about that. Like, like this, this is sometimes what we think. And then based on the scripture that I just read, there are divisions among them because those who felt that they were superior to others, they acted that way and treated others in a particular way. Listen to me. There is no partiality in Christ Jesus. Guess what? He loves me. He loves you. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. And vice versa. He loves us all the same. He says, no, but you know, you pray better. No, I don't. Prayer is not eloquent speech. Prayer is this heart that's been devastated by the gospel and the fact that when I look at the gospel, I saw short and therefore I humble myself and cry for the mercy of God upon my life. Because I can't. I can't do it. I try. I try getting good, you know, for a little bit and then it doesn't work. You know, I try these resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym twice a week. Then I roll over and it's like, I'll, I'll double up next week. Right? I'm going to try to be a better husband. And then I find myself falling. I'm going to try to be a better father, try to be a better friend. And sometimes I let my friends down. See, my righteousness is not found in them. It's found in Jesus Christ. So, so when I find myself falling short with them, I run to Jesus. When I, when I don't get the validation, I, I run to Jesus. Because my righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. I got to take on his righteousness. See, we're justified the minute we say yes to Jesus Christ. I'm not guilty anymore. So why after being found not guilty of every crime I've ever committed, why would I go back and commit a crime again? Why? Like, like I, I either don't understand exactly what just happened. 
Like, you know, I'm, I'm facing, you know, triple, you know, life sentence. And, and Jesus steps in and says, no, I'll do this for you. And I'm like, hey, thank you, Jesus. And then I go and catch another charge. That's what we do when we don't understand the gospel. The purpose of him doing that is so that you can be free. So you can be free from bondage. You can be free from this desire to want to sin and, and want to go out and, and do this stuff. You can't change unless you're willing to accept the fact that the gospel already has made change possible. We can't get good. Just can't. And Judas slips into the communion table and sits there and he drinks and he eats and he smiles and probably tells a couple of jokes. And then Jesus says, the one who's going to betray me is right here in this room. And I wonder, I wonder if today's communion will be different. I wonder based on what we heard and, and, and what communion is, that we would at this moment begin to just ask the Lord for forgiveness. Because I haven't looked at the communion like this. I think it's kind of a ritual and tradition. Everybody does it, so I'm going to do it too. But the scriptures are clear that when you take it that way, all you do is causing sickness upon yourself and harm upon yourself. Guys, and if you're a Christian, it means Christ-like. You become this Christ follower. Imagine if the early Christians, and we could see that in Corinthians, their struggles, forget and lose sight of these things. We wouldn't have a church. Just Christianity would not exist. But as I look and I study, I realize that there were people who just got it. And they ran with it. Every single day of their lives, they understood that it's all about Jesus. He paid the price. He took the beating. He went to the cross. You know, he resurrected. He's interceding. He's helping me. He, you know, like, like this, is, this is it. Some of us just think that mentally, oh, I understand that. But you don't understand it. If, if you're still in a place where this is what you want to do and it's contrary to what he's asking you to do, then, then, then you don't get it. And guys, maybe we've done a poor job of presenting the gospel. Maybe, you know, we, we, we said God loves you, God loves you, and we haven't really, you know, let you know that because God loves you, you have to respond to it. Because a lot of us think, oh, God loves me. And if God did it all, then I don't got to do anything. It means I could do what I want. You know why? Because God loves me. And Satan gets a hold of you. And beats you. Because all you think is, oh, God loves me. So it's okay for me to do what I want. It's okay for me to sleep around. It's okay for me to lie. It's okay for me to cheat. It's okay for me... You just go on and on. This list is endless. Jesus did it so that we can live and be free. Don't you, don't you want to be free? I mean, it's a new year. Don't you want to be free? Because the way it begins 
is us embracing the reality of the things we do, whether it be baptism, whether it be our communion, whether it be our prayer night, whatever it is, these are invitations for you to sit at his table. 